Greetings, you're listening to Kerry's Chaos, a podcast about the random happenings in my life and things that I find interesting. If you have any feedback, criticism, comments or questions, you can reach me as khoth on Twitter, that's K-H-O-A-T-H, or email me at k-e-r-r-y at g-o-t-s-s dot net. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, I said I was going to do some things on the podcast that involved nostalgia. And what I want to talk about today that involves quite a bit of nostalgia for me personally is the floppy drive. And if you were around prior to, I'd say maybe the year 2000, maybe late into 2002, 2003 was when they were really starting to sort of phase out of existence. These devices were a staple for portable storage for all sorts of personal computers. And in fact, when I got my first talking computer in 1987, it was the Keynote XL. And it came with a 360 kilobyte that's 360,000 bytes, three and a half inch battery powered floppy drive. And the interesting thing about this floppy drive was not only was it a slow proprietary serial interface to the computer that it connected to, but it took an inordinate amount of time to access floppy disks, even for the time period that we were dealing with, 1986-1987. And if it's one thing I can put in my past that has turned me off running the spell check was the spell check on the Epson HX20, which would take two to three minutes to spell check a document. And this is a notoriously bad habit for me because I avoid spell checks today and I really shouldn't. But we have walked through quite a lot of evolution in the floppy disk. The floppy disks for the Epson HX20 were a three and a half inch double density floppy. They contained 40 tracks and would store a maximum of 360 kilobytes of information. I have in my hand, and I have a couple of boxes of these plus a couple of crates, I have two of them here, a high density 3.5 inch 1.44 megabyte floppy although you could squeeze a bit more out of them. We'll talk about that in a moment. This disc is a piece of plastic that is three and a half inches square, approximately. It has a plastic window that covers the access to the magnetic media when spring-loaded and slid closed. And underneath it has a metal hub that has two holes in it, a round hole and a rectangular hole and that is actually gripped onto by the drive motor when the disc is spun at approximately 200 revolutions per minute. 
So, because I'm practical about these nostalgia posts, we're going to boot the Dell that is the development Dell on the edge of the computer desk. It's actually being blue tacked down to the edge of the computer desk. This is a Dell Optiplex system and it's quite modern. It has an SSD, 16 gig of RAM and Windows 10. However, we will boot it off its SSD and allow it to boot up. Uh, now, initially for the podcast, I've got the speech running reasonably quickly. I use eSpeak as my primary speech synthesizer, mainly because I'm not going to get into loyalty problems. Oh, look at that. There's Windows doing exactly what you'd expect it to do. Just when I want to do something in a timely manner, uh, Windows has to update itself, and it is doing that. And so what I have is a couple of floppy disks. And I have a USB floppy drive. In 2006, a lot of six of these drives went for $60 on eBay. I grabbed them. Just log into the computer and allow that to happen. Now... 1987, I had an Epson HX20, a Keynote XL. I may talk about that more on the podcast. I basically did a lot of things with that computer. It was my very first talking computer. Revolutionized the way I processed, wrote down, and retrieved information. And I remember going to the Tandy store in Narrabri, New South Wales. I know Google Drive trash is changing. Get rid of uh, Skype there. We don't need that during the podcast. And we'll slowly speak down a bit. Right, there we go. Now, when I was, well, 13 years old, I walked into the Tandy Radio Shack store in Narrabri and asked how much would it be for a box of double density, three and a half inch discs like this one here that I'm holding in my hand. And I was informed by the fellow who ran the store that that box of discs would be $49. And I was devastated. I There was no way that I could see that day to get hold of $49. And I stood in the store and I said, with tears in my eyes, well, fair enough. I won't be buying a disc today. I won't be buying a box of discs today. And he took pity on me, which I appreciate to this day. And he said, I tell you what, I will sell you one floppy disc for $5. And I was happy beyond words. And I paid my $5. I don't know how much I expected discs to be. This was prior to the internet, and unless you rang somebody up and asked them, it would be very difficult to know how much something would cost. And I bought a floppy disk, and I stored a lot of my work documents and stuff on it for years, because that's what we did. Data was stored on floppy disks. Now, fast wind to 2020, 
and I have a USB floppy drive, I have a Windows 10 computer, and I have quite a number of floppy, drive, floppy disks, but I'm going to plug this floppy drive in. There we go. And I actually have two disks here, one that is has a Dymo label on the front of it called Win98, which I expect is a Windows 98 boot disk. I must have kept that around because I considered it to be useful. Uh, and the other one came from a box of eight floppies that I happen to have uh, in a box, uh, and it's blank. So let's set the Wayback Machine. I'm going to put a disk in the drive. Now, interestingly enough, with USB floppies, when you slide a disk into them, they run the drive motor. I do not know why. The original floppy disks for the IBM PCXT and AT uh, and compatibles did not do this. Motor on was a specific signal that was sent by the floppy controller. And we'll talk about the floppy controller and how it works in a moment. But when I slide this disk in, it is going to run the motor for a little while and then it will obviously time out. Now, three and a half inch high density disks, which were an evolution from double density disks, doubled the number of sectors per track. Rather than using nine sectors per track, they would use 18 sectors per track. And they doubled the number of tracks to 80 tracks. And I believe I saw a statistics somewhere, I'd have to look this up, that they actually store data at 96 tracks per inch. So we're going to grab some files. This disk can only store 1.44 megabytes of information, or 1,457,360 bytes of information. How do I know that? Because I saw those figures so often growing up looking at empty disks and formatted disks and stuff that the numbers stuck in my head. Technically, it's 1,474,000. I can't remember the last digits for that. Bytes, but you had to have the file system overhead for the boot sector, file allocation table, and root directory, which I believe could only store 224 entries by default because it was limited by the number of sectors that it occupied on the disk. So, we're going to find some files on this machine to copy. Now I'm going to grab the keys file, which is a set of keys for SSH access because they're fairly small. Copy that to the clipboard. Open up the Windows Explorer. With Windows A. All that looks fairly standard. Floppy disk drive A. Set the Wayback Machine back 20 years. Here we go. Press Enter there. It's going to log that disk. Now, don't be impatient on accessing these disks. The storage and retrieval of information to these disks was done at approximately 300 kilobits per second. So the speed of read and write 
is not actually quick. So if I paste this fi these files on, it is going to... You can hear that it takes a, a while to actually copy these files to the disk. NVIDIA progress beeps telling us what's going on there. Obviously, back in the day, we would do this from the DOS command line using copy or xcopy. And then in a moment, the copy will have completed and we will have our data stored on our disk. Now, as a young geek boy walking around the school, my claim to fame was that I would walk around with pockets of my coat full of floppy disks. I had about 12 or 14 disks that I would carry around with me just in case somebody wanted something. And I could reach into that pocket, pull out a disk, hand it to the particular person, and they would get what they desired. Now I'm going to get a bigger file here because I have a a file that's about 1.2 meg in size just to fill the rest of the disk up to give you some idea of how long it takes to store data on this. And it will be this file here. We'll just go in there. That is the Windows 8 task manager that you can pull into Windows 10 to replace the Windows 10 task manager, which is not that awesome according to a lot of people. So we'll copy that to the clipboard. And we'll paste it onto our floppy drive. basically going to fill up most of the 80 tracks on that disk. This disk will be pretty much full once we have tmcfg.exe in and the SSH keys. But these floppy disks were a staple of our existence. We stored documents, we stored programs, programs being an order of magnitude smaller interesting catch here is that Windows keeps the floppy drive open until we eject the drive. So if I... Pull that out. Now... If we want to make sure that our stuff is still on our floppy, because these floppies are probably 20 years old, plug that in. And it's going to seek back to the um, beginning of the disk. Open Windows Explorer. And there are our stored files. Can I put another floppy disk in here and see what's on it? Let's find out. So, we know that's not being accessed, so we can eject it. 
if you eject a disk while it's being accessed, you can scramble the contents. This has been done by many a person, including myself. One of the biggest errors that people used to make was to eject their floppy before they had saved their Word document. And sometimes you could retrieve the files from the scramble of temp files on the floppy disk. Sometimes you couldn't. Sometimes hours of word processing would be lost because somebody ejected their disk before they saved the document or they saved the document, not realising that Word for Windows had kept the document open and that had temp files on the disk. And then when you went to close Word and it went to update the disk, it would fail and be unable to save the data to the, the floppy. Now I'm going to refresh. And the antivirus is going to kick in. That is Windows Defender scanning my Windows 98 boot disk to ensure that there are no viruses on it. I'm pretty sure there aren't any viruses on it because I did make this in about 2005. But we'll see if we get a false positive. One of the big reasons I didn't run antivirus in the early days, even though perhaps I should have back in the late 80s and very early 90s, was that it increased the time to access things from the floppy drive. So if we look at this disk, we have... Ah, this is not actually a Windows 98 key disk. This is a different disk. Uh, and it contains um, a couple of miscellaneous files from times gone past. So, what happened? 1.44 megabytes of storage. Isn't that an awesome amount of storage? Shouldn't we still be using these today? Not so fast. Uh, they, the disks would fail over time. They would become slow. They would become unreliable. In fact, uh, Freedom Scientific abandoned their Queller-based authentication scheme that required key disks because modern machines stopped shipping three-and-a-half-inch floppy drives in them. It is very rare these days to get a machine that even has a floppy controller on the motherboard or a three-and-a-half-inch floppy drive in it. When I built my first computer in... Well, 1993. I built my computer in 1993. It was a 486DX33 because Intel had two lines of processors. They had the 3 and the 486SX and DX. And I jokingly maintained that SX stood for sucks because the SX had a smaller address bus and a smaller data bus and was a cut-down version of the 386 and the 486 processor. The difference between the 486 SX and DX was that the SX did not contain a floating-point math coprocessor. Now, most modern computers have a floating-point math coprocessor built in, but older machines didn't necessarily have that. You only had one of those if you're doing CAD work or work in spreadsheets that required a floating point 
unit that would do decimal arithmetic. Now, uh, or should I say floating point arithmetic containing a decimal point. Now, I still have original floppy drives. I don't know whether I have a machine that will take a floppy disk in 2020 as far as a floppy controller. But back in 1992-1993, machines that I built all the way up until 2000 contained a three and a half inch high density floppy drive. If they were the professional build, they also contained a five and a quarter inch 1.2 meg high density floppy drive. So the machine would have both types of floppy drives to be able to read both sorts of disks. And PCs usually either used three and a half inch disks or they used five and a quarter inch disks. Older CPM machines and PCs with specialized controllers could use eight inch disks that were certainly a larger disk. But the difference between the three and a half inch and the five and a quarter inch disk was that the three and a half inch disk was held in a hard plastic casing with either a metal or plastic sliding window to protect the inner magnetic disc that contained the magnetic storage media, whereas a five and a quarter inch disc was a softer plastic that was actually more flexible and would hold a bigger magnetic spinning disc. And on the outside of the disc, it had a soft material that would allow the disc to spin around inside it because the medium had to be kept flat and straight and then the heads would actually come into contact with the recording media as it spun a bit like an audio cassette unlike hard disks which actually have the heads suspended a very small distance above the surface of the platters. And I recall with fond memories going to see a good friend, Tim, in the school holidays of 1991. And I was a collector of programs and software, things that I found interesting, some of which I might talk about on my podcast, such as PC, uh, PKZip and LHA and LHR and various things like that. And he told me he had a CD-ROM. And he said, the CD-ROM was going to revolutionize the way we stored and retrieved data. And he told me that he had a CD that contained 650 megabytes of information. And the CD he had was the Simtel 20 archive from May 1991. And I asked whether I could copy some things off the CD and he said that if I behaved I might be able to fill 10, 20 or maybe even 30 floppy disks full of new software to play with and as I tell these stories I I consider that storage has been revolutionized in 2020 we now have multi gigabyte thumb drives or as we call them flash drives flash drives, tug plugs. We also have hard disks that are gigabytes and terabytes large. But up until 
perhaps 2002, 2003. The staple storage that we all used was the 1.44 megabyte floppy disk. And I hope that people have found this look at old technology interesting. Please let me know what you think of this podcast. Should I do more nostalgia podcasts? Are people interested in how I grew up with old computing technology as a child? Would you like to hear about hardware speech synthesizers, early disk technology, and other interesting anecdotes of my computing past? And if you've listened all the way through to the end, I thank you. I hope that you will tune into future episodes of Kerry's Chaos. If you'd like to contact me, K-H-O-A-T-H on Twitter, or Kerry at G-O-T-S-S. And with that, I wish you all the best. I'm going to shut down my development box. I'm going to unplug my USB floppy drive and place it back into the top drawer where I have stored it away from harm. And if ever I am bored enough, I have a couple of hundred floppies that still contain information. And who knows how much of that information will be readable in 2020. Many of those files were files that I copied onto 3.5 inch floppy disks in the school holidays of 1992. So do let me know. I haven't had any feedback on this podcast. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did I rabbit on too much? Does anyone else remember three and a half inch and five and a quarter inch floppy disks? Did you use them growing up? Or are you so young that the only computer storage you remember is the compact flash card or the secure digital card, which when they first came out, came in sizes of two, four and eight megabytes. And if you had lots of money, perhaps you could buy a 64 megabyte secure digital card. Now, There's a tiny little thumb drive about the size of the last joint of my thumb that stores 64 gigabytes of information, barely protrudes from the universal serial bus port. But we didn't have a universal serial bus in 1991. The world was a very different place. So I hope you've enjoyed this look back into the past at the three and a half inch floppy drive and discs. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to ask me and I will do my best to answer them in a future episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening.